Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guests are Missouri State Representative Ashley Bland Manlove of the 26th District, who is the ranking minority member on the Ways and Means Committee and is on the Budget Committee. Tracy Gleason, Vice President of External Relations for the Missouri Budget Project, and JMO, Organizer and Lead Campaign Strategist for MCU. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2022 special legislative session called by the governor. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having us. We are recording this program on September 9th, and the special session is scheduled to start the week of September 12th. So let's just start off with the basics. Why is the governor calling this special legislative session? Hey, everybody. State Representative Ashley Bland-Manlove, uh, 26th District, which is over on the other side of the state, Kansas City. So greetings. So he called the uh, special session because there were two big bills that the that the that the governor vetoed. Um, and so he's kind of mashing this special session and veto together um, to address those two bills. One was an agricultural tax credit bill. And another one was this proposed uh, tax credit that they were going to, uh, you know, give back to the people and they were going to put 500 bucks in your pocket. And um, the governor didn't like uh, the technicalities of it. He liked the premise, but not the technicalities. So uh, he vetoed those. And so now we're trying to have deeper discussions about tax taxes and tax credits here in the state. Well, Representative, if I could tag on to that, um, Tracy Gleason with the Missouri Budget Project, the proposal that passed was really touted as, hey, this is going to put money in folks' pockets, $500 for those filing individually, $1,000 for those filing jointly. In reality, the way it was set up, even the folks who would have been eligible for the full thing would have gotten much, much less than that um, because of how much money that they would have allowed to do it. But a lot of people would have been left out of it because it was based on income tax liability. So senior citizens um, relying on Social Security income, working families with kids that don't earn enough to, in, to owe income taxes, they wouldn't have gotten a dime from the proposal. So it left a lot of folks out. So what are the changes or what is the governor proposing that's different and are these permanent? No tax credit is really permanent unless it gets put into the constitution. So most tax credits in general have to be renewed. They have to, um, what we call sunsets. Um, and it's like a time. So two year sunset, five year sunset, seven years, something like that to where it has to be reviewed occasionally. Well, and I think that is a huge point to make sure that we're talking about the issues separately, because the agricultural tax credits, yes, that was a big part of it, of extending that the governor wanted it to be approved for a longer period of time than the agricultural tax credits were approved. But for on the income tax changes that the governor's proposed, those would be permanent. Um, he is proposing reducing the top rate of income tax 
um, increasing the standard deduction and eliminating the first tax bracket. Um, those things are permanent. We, Missouri Budget Project and others, certainly have concerns because we saw what happened in Kansas when they passed a package of tax cuts several years ago. They were in a good budget situation, just like Missouri is. The architect that designed the Kansas tax credits under Sam Brownback also had a hand in working with Governor Parson on these. The difference is when Kansas cut its taxes, they immediately saw you know, a hit to their state's credit rating. They saw surpluses turn into deficits and they had to tackle budget deficits regularly over the course of a few years before legislators said, hey, this didn't work. We're turning back, we're reversing most of these cuts. In Missouri, our legislature doesn't have that luxury. Do the Hancock Amendment, they can only raise taxes a very relatively small amount relative to the size of this package. So, you know, they, they would pass a permanent tax cut and then they can't address it when the rubber hits the road and, you know, we see an economic recession, um, our, our budget rev or our revenue slows down. There's nothing that they can can immediately do to rectify the situation here in this state. <laughs> that's that's a really good point is that Hancock makes this all well, the more complicated uh, because we we can't fix it because of something that is in the Constitution. Like Representative Bland Manlet said, when it's in the Constitution, that's a, a critter you, you've got to deal with. <laughs> I, I feel kind of like this tax proposal is is sort of like somebody goes in for surgery and they need their gallbladder removed. And instead, the surgeon decides to take out their appendix. You know, we we are not dealing with our real tax problem in Missouri, which is that we have an outdated, unfair, and inadequate revenue structure. Uh, our, our income tax table is still very much frozen in, in numbers from 1931, and, and we don't fix that. And we don't, we don't modernize our, our tax brackets uh, through this proposal. We're just tinkering around with it a bit. I, I don't know that MCU exactly has an official position on this, but uh, because taxation was something that I really cared about a lot when I was a legislator. I've studied this issue a lot. And and I what I know is that our budget is really inadequate on just a whole lot of fronts. Uh, our state workers are, are generally paid either like 50th in the nation or 49th in the nation, uh, depending on the year. We, uh, we have a mental health system where only one out of five people that need mental health care are getting mental health care. Uh, there, there's the, the, uh, uh, our, our welfare system, you know, the, the TANF payments are stuck with where, in, right where they were in 1991. They haven't raised those since 1991. So that a family of three, uh, you know, say a woman is fleeing domestic violence and has to apply for TANF uh, for herself and two children, they get $292 a month. I mean, we just don't modernize things in Missouri. Our, our IT, uh, you know, we have a lot of computers that still use COBOL. Uh, we are slowest in the nation in processing Medicaid applications. Uh, there, there's just, we're just kind of like falling apart. Uh, we, we really ought to uh, uh, address our real problems, which is uh, a lack of a modern uh, tax table uh, and an unfair structure that basically makes those at the bottom that, that are very, uh, you know, non-elderly people with, with very low wages pay a higher percentage of their incomes than folks uh, in the in the top quintile, the the richest twenty percent, who pay significantly less uh, of of their total incomes in state and local taxes than the the people at the bottom do, 
uh, and then that we're just not we're not funding things ac- ac- adequately. And we can say, hey, that's great. But guess what? You know, if the state doesn't put enough money into K through 12, what do they do? Your local school district will do some kind of a bond issue or something to make up for w- what you're not paying in state taxes. So it just uh, it just kicks the can down the road to, to where you, you pay it to somebody else. You know, kind of I, I wish we would do a total overhaul instead of all this tinkering stuff. Let's back up just a moment and describe the, what is the Hancock Amendment, refresh listeners' memories, and how does this factor into you, you hinted at it that it's gonna it sort of lays a trap for once the the uh, taxes or the tax reduction is in place, it's then hard to raise the taxes back. Can you explain how that that would work? In the past, um, a constitutional amendment was passed under the the assumption that somehow Missourians were being tax too much. And it, it basically did several things. One is that we can't raise taxes beyond a certain formula that's based on people's incomes without going to a vote of the people. So, uh, you know, for example, when they're talking about raising the tobacco taxes because we were lowest in the nation, they couldn't go beyond a certain amount with that or it had to go to a vote. And we have voted on that several times because it was going to raise more than Hancock allowed. The other thing is if, if you're old enough like me, to have been around as a taxpayer in the 1990s, you remember getting a little check because we had too much revenue. If you have too much revenue, you have to give it back to the taxpayers. Uh, I got a check for like six bucks a couple of times back in the 1990s um, because we we had a a surplus beyond uh, what is allowed uh, by Hancock. So those are the the main mechanisms. They can cut taxes at will, uh, but if you're going to raise anything, it either has to go to a vote of the people or you have to give money back if, if we go beyond certain amounts. In the 1990s, we actually took three cents of sales tax off of, of food as a way to try to deal with the fact that we were giving money back to the taxpayers because we were we were raising more than than was allowed. I think really the part that is most applicable to this conversation is, you know, that that bottom line that they the legislature cannot unilaterally raise taxes. And, you know, folks listening might say, hey, that sounds good to me. I want to have a say in it. But in reality, if the state the state has to balance its budget and if the state is facing a budget deficit, they have to address that then and there. You know, there have to be mid-year cuts. It's not something that you can wait and say, well, in six months, we're going to have an election and see what happens. Cuts have to happen right then. Then you also get into, you know, a ballot question. You've got donors, you have campaigns. um, And, you know, is that how we want to make important decisions for our state? Um, and I, I would argue that, you know, we, we need to have bigger picture than, than the Hancock Amendment allows us to have. Okay, so what is the current status of the Missouri budget? Um, it, it is there a, a really big surplus, and, and is is that what's what's keying this all? So yes, there was. Um, it wasn't a really big budget, a couple percent, Tracy. So, but we all know that that budget has come from, you know, a lot of the federal stimulus money that we received. There was several rounds of stimulus money that came through the federal um, from our, from our federal government. So. It's not really a surplus. Um, it's not a sustainable surplus. Um, and so that's what the scary part is about this, because, you know, when our revenue goes back down um, to, you know, a normal level, now we've made these cuts. So it's actually going to be lower than, you know, and that's when we start seeing cuts in services. And the first ones to go are state workers and like education, social services. So um 
that that it actually tees up a conversation for them, um, you know, later on down the line saying we can't afford Medicaid expansion and um, some of the more top heavy items that we've added lately that are that are really good for the for the whole state. It's an interesting slope. So it sounds like this, the, the, the total picture here is that we do have a little bit of extra money. This is a reason that the governor has given to initiate the tax cuts, but that money is, is not a permanent income. Um, so in a couple of years, that money will go away. And now we can't raise the taxes back up because the Hancock Amendment is in place to prevent us from doing it. I just want to sort of recap that picture because it's it's one domino after another, it sounds like. When you see that the numbers on the surplus, you know, being thrown around, um, as the representative said, we do have a surplus right now, but the, the surplus is already anticipated to decline by the end of the current fiscal year by a significant amount. Um, and, you know, we are talking about permanent tax cuts, permanent tax cuts to the tune of $950 billion every single year. And when you think about the, the budget that legislators actually get to make decisions about, and when I say they get to make the decisions, a lot of money that comes into the state of Missouri is earmarked for one thing or another. It's federal money. We already know the purposes of it. When we look at the money that, that our general revenue that funds our schools, funds Medicaid, funds social services, a lot of that money is only around $10 billion. So we're talking about a 10% cut in perpetuity. So what we, this that would have a huge impact on our state. I, I think another thing we have to consider is if the Hancock Amendment was to make sure we never started overtaxing people. We need to pay attention to these audits that the Missouri Auditor has to do of, of Hancock annually. And uh, it just came out. I just I just looked at it. Guess where we are. If if we considered the, you know, like Hancock at, at a zero dial saying we're hunky dory, this is about where we ought to be, then we're $3.8 billion below that and the revenue that we're raising for our state's essential needs. Uh, and I think that's a certain measure of how we're funding um, essential state uh, services and programs. And I think that's a great point, um, J-Mo, to point out is that, okay, so we're short what we need, really. Is that what you just said? That's that's what I got from that. We're short what we need. Right. And so now we're trying to give a tax cut and, and these taxes are for individual taxes. And so like, we're not even talking about corporate taxes and like business taxes and how much they're not um, giving to, you know, revenue. So we're not, again, JMO, not addressing the actual problem um, that, that, that's, that's clear and abundant. Getting down into the weeds a little bit, you know, JMO brought up the nineties when we saw those rebates going to people. And I think there was a real overcorrection by state policymakers at that point in time, because they said, oh gosh, we're giving all this money back. What can we do to cut state revenue? So you look at that and, and you know, in the years following, we cut more than 2 billion in various rate decreases and tax credits, et cetera. What, you know, when you look at, at, at how Kansas cut their taxes, they cut them, the effects were immediate and people said, whoa, this is not how I wanna live. 
But here in Missouri, it's been a little bit here and a little bit there over the course of years, over the course of decades. And so we don't see the cause and effect in the same way that we did with the failed Kansas tax experiment. But the results are the same. And we're talking about taking another permanent dig at things that prevents us from improving. And we're talking about classroom teachers. We are talking about healthcare. And when we're talking about economic vitality, quality of life, we need people to be healthy, to be able to make ends meet, to be able to attract the kind of employers and for families to build for a better future. So the other thing that's been pointed out is that the the benefits of this tax cut are not evenly distributed. Uh, how is that playing out? Who's going to benefit and who's not going to benefit if if this tax cut is passed? Well, Tracy and JMO hinted at it in an earlier comment, you know, um, 4% of your income for a person who makes under, you know, 15,000 for 4%, you know, for a person who makes 100,000. Uh, 4% of your income are very, very different things, and they affect you very differently. Actually, the way it ends up, um, if I remember right, more, more money actually ends up being saved by the people who make money or who have a higher income uh, than the people who have a lower income. So, yeah, and that's- a lot of folks are just left out altogether. Right. And so we can talk about how much people will see by like how much money they make. But we there are almost a third of Missourians who won't see a dime. Yeah, and again, like, we're talking like about elders and parents with kids. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, working families who earn so little money that they don't owe income tax. But as Jeanette mentioned earlier, they're paying their sales taxes. They're paying property taxes. They are supporting the services that we all rely on through their purchases every day to a higher degree than the very wealthiest. You know, the, uh, the very wealthiest folks spend as a share of their income, it's much less than the bottom earners of our state in terms of the share of their income that go to state and local taxes. They would not see a dime from this. If you're relying on social security income, you're a teacher relying on your pension. And those that would see it though, so someone earning, but you know, average $30,000 a year, they're going to see $7 at the end of the, of the year as a result of this. But the wealthiest folks, people making a million and a half, they're going to see over 6000 So it's a very inequitable distribution of benefits. Yeah, the average state and local sales tax in Missouri is, is uh, already 8.29%, uh, which is well above the national average of 6.57%. I thought that's some numbers that I saw in a recent report from Missouri Budget Project, and I really appreciate that. Uh, and and here in St. Louis, I don't know how it is out there in Kansas City, I represent Blaine Manlove, but I, I'm paying more like 11% sales tax because not only is, is there some state stuff going on, often there are these local taxing, uh, you know, uh, transportation taxing districts, you know, special taxing di- districts uh, for, for different kinds of, of economic development that that may be happening in, in various zip codes uh, here in St. Louis. And, and so uh, I can count on having more like 11% heaped on when I go to buy something here in St. Louis. Yeah, similar over on this side, there are different um, tax incentives um, throughout the city. So it actually depends on what corner of the city you're in and what you're buying, um, yep. depending to so what taxes apply to what. So yeah. Right, right. 
And then in St. Louis, we have all of our very, very small communities too. So you could be yeah. a mile apart and pay a drastically <laughs> right. different sales tax. Yeah. As the state has pulled its support for these programs, when we've seen revenue decline, the state doesn't fund as, as high a share of K-12 education as it used to. And I think we're one of the most uh, least generous states in the country in terms of how much state support we put towards our kids' education compared to other people. As a result, that stuff all relies, goes to you know local folks' shoulders. And so that's where we see, okay, we want to take care of our kids. Guess we have to raise taxes. We want to take care of older Missourians. Guess we better raise taxes. So all of those local taxes keep going up and up. Quite a few school districts have gone to four-day weeks because they, they can't cope with it. And uh, think about the strain that that puts on the budget for uh, some families around extra child care or just, you know, the man- maneuvering that's, that has to happen so that there's some safety for that child on the other day of the week when they had been kind of depending on the school for that. And then we've seen this school year, the start of this school year, uh, a lack of bus drivers to, to start the school year. So we, we are living this on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so beyond four-day school weeks and lack of bus drivers, what are some of the other uh, services that we're going to have to do without uh, if this goes through? Uh, who's going to be hurt the most? What services are going to need to be cut? Well, like you said, it always starts um, kind of with the people who need it the most. Um, it, it does seem like the most cuts are easiest to kind of sneak by in education and, oh, we don't have the money. We just decided to fund transportation at, what, 70%? Um, so that'll be interesting. That'll probably be the first thing to go, actually. You know, you got to start worrying about, okay, well, we have all this construction coming down um, from all the stimulus money, but how many MoDOT workers do we have? Um, when I worked at MoDOT, they were out of welders. Um, so are, are we giving, you know, our state services, especially the essential ones, um, the the leeway that they need to hire, um, you know, new, new, new people? Um, so, it, it can get really, really scary, um, actually. Madremo said Medicaid expansion, or, or Medicaid applications are at a 100-day processing time. So it, it, could get, it could get really scary. Yeah, I, I was at the Air Conservation Commission meeting uh, recently uh, when uh, MCU was presenting a petition signed by more than 300 people about improving the, our pollution controls, basically. And during that meeting, they reported that they, they have 18 permit writers within the Department of Natural Resources, and they have 11 vacancies for those 18 positions right now. So what's what's up with that? You know, I mean, why are we having such trouble filling our state worker roles? Could it be the low wages that we pay people and then the fact that our legislature is also always going after their benefits uh, as well? It used to be you kind of reconciled yourself to, well, I'm not going to get paid much, but at least I'll have a nice retirement. And and there have been attacks on, on that as well. Uh, so that's of concern. Um, there's a, a, you know, it's it's just heartbreaking in a, in the in the budget hearings. Uh, people will come and explain the pain that the lack of of revenue is causing their community, and legislatures say, you know, with with real you know concern in their voice, you know, gosh, I I hear you. I'm really sorry that's happening. Now, who do you want us to cut so that we can give more money to your problem? And there's there's never. <laughs> a look at increasing the size of the pie. It's, you know, it's rob your neighbor. You know, who are we going to, who are we going to hurt in order to try to spare you this uh, horrible situation that you're going through? 
And that's just not good enough. We could do better than that. And our kids end up suffering the most from it because, you know, they can't defend themselves. And, you know, even even state things like after school programming, um, which has been a constant fight, which has other implications on health and crime and other things, um, you know, don't get funded. So it has really long term implications, especially with our kids coming off of COVID. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot of folks that talk about, well, there's money in people's pockets. Well, OK, so you have 20 bucks in your pocket. Can you pay a teacher with that $20? No. But when we all put that $20 together, that's where we get the services that allow us to have, you know, strong neighborhoods, healthy communities, and an opportunity for our families and an opportunity, you know, to to make life better for our kids. And I think that that's what we lose sight of sometimes talking about some of the, the budget and revenue issues that we are we we can do things together that we can't do alone. Exactly. And that, that's all we talk about at MCU all the time is is that uh we care about the common good. Can we have public policy that supports the common good? Uh we we have instead for years now had uh, a general assembly that basically operates under the uh, philosophy of every man for themselves. Uh, and I think maybe they really do mean man. I'm not sure. <laughs> your your stability has to do with getting yourself connected to a man wealthy enough to take care of you uh, because everybody else is kind of left out. You know, women are still not making what men do. Uh, and, and certainly a lot of our policies um, are pretty slanted against women these days. <laughs> and and the other the other service that, that comes to my mind is uh, our, our social work uh, network within the state, which has been underfunded for years. And we've had problems within the last couple of years of children in foster care being lost in the system. And, and knowing people that have worked in that, that field who there there is high turnover. And if we are not compensating people uh, for their work, then they will find work elsewhere um, because it is a tough, tough job to do. And, And that's, that seems to be one that sort of underlies a lot of other issues within the state. Like you said, representative, when it comes to education and, and uh, stability in homes and, and safety on the streets and things along those lines, if we're taking care of our children first, then a lot of other things sort of fall in line behind that. They've actually, you know, had a rash of, um, you know, centers being shut down um, because they're not taking care of the kids, but, how if we would have been able to pay enough investigators and paid them well, and they didn't feel drained by their jobs um, because of the lack of support um, and and now growing fear of even more lack of support with these cuts, you know, how many kids could we have saved to where we didn't need to have these investigations? Um, So it it really does have long reaching effects. Okay. That's right. That's the message of our Break the the Pipeline campaign is, is that, uh, if if we allow children to be, uh, uh, you know, constantly bombarded by adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, that creates to- toxic stress, you know, trauma uh, to them, they don't develop properly. And then there has to be a lot of remediation, which is very expensive. And if we don't get the remediation right, then we have kids dropping out of school and winding up incarcerated, which is incredibly expensive. Uh, so let's just get it right and stop the suffering at the beginning and not have kids going through trauma. Right, right. So we talked a little bit about um, the tax code being stuck in the 1930s, which is actually kind of a surprise for me, uh, being a layperson. 
Um, it, that does bring up wh- what is an alternative proposition? Now, Tracy, you had mentioned uh, before we started recording that the Missouri Budget Pro- uh, Project has an alternative proposition uh, for for reforming uh, taxes in Missouri. What what are you looking at, and, and what would this alternative be? Sure, and and folks can you know look on our website to get more details, kind of about the breakdown of things. But going back to the cost of it, you know, we we talked about the role of federal stimulus um, in our current budget situation. And I want to clarify that, you know, we're not talking about federal funds being used for the tax cut, but that infusion of stimulus into the pockets of Missourians through PPP loans, that kind of thing. It helped prop up the economy and helped, you know, increase consumer spending. So our state revenue ended up being higher than we would have thought at the beginning of the pandemic. Then the state coffers also got a lot of support, which allowed us to use that federal money for some services and save up general revenue. But again, that's a little bit, it's a temporary surplus that we already know is going to decline significantly by the end of the fiscal year. So the governor's plan would would, would be, you know, at least 950 um million a year. We looked at it and and there is an existing tax cut that passed that's referred to as the LLC loophole. And it's something that passed in Kansas a few years ago. It's roundly kind of agreed by economists on, on, you know, from all stripes that it's bad policy. It's kind of the federal government picking winners and losers because it says, if you are structured as this one type of company, you don't have to pay taxes on 20% of your income you don't have to pay income on that. And so it doesn't create companies, but it does make sure that people say, hey, I'm going to set myself up as as an LLC. That is tremendously expensive. So we can maintain the cut in income tax rates that the governor suggested, still um, reduced income tax rate for folks across the board that, that are paying their income taxes, but we can strengthen the earned income tax credit and we can modernize the circuit breaker property tax credit so that, that working families with kids who get something from this tax bill, that older Missourians who are, are struggling to stay in their homes because they're paying more for everything else, that they see a slice of this as well. So we can, there are ways to tweak this proposal so that everyone actually does see benefit but that we don't run the risk of this Kansas budget bomb in the longer term. We yeah, what I, what I really love about your proposal at Missouri Budget Project uh, is this refundable uh, working families uh, tax credit. Um, one was finally passed after years of trying to get one passed in Missouri. It hasn't been impl- implemented yet, but uh, it'll be coming soon. Uh, but it's not a refundable one as it's structured now, and it, it only reaches about 250,000 uh, families. But if we created this refundable credit, that would reach 495,610 working families, according to the analysis on your on your website. That, so that's nearly you know half a, a half a million people. Uh, and uh, we know that 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 uh, children and families that get a, a, the federal earned income tax credit are healthier, uh, do better in school, have higher earnings when they're adults, uh, and uh, it, it's just a really really wonderful program. And then that, that circuit breaker, you know, I, I think of a friend of mine who is uh, 67 years old. Um, she has a, a developmental disability and, uh, and has lived on SSI for most of her life. 
She has less than $800 a month uh, income from SSI. And recently she, recently she called me because her gas bill had gone from $60 a month budget billing to something like 170. So I started, you know, working to try to get her a reduced plan some way. And, and, and we've got her something a little better, but not nearly as low as she needs. She gets that circuit breaker. She gets it on, on uh, it's based on uh, some, the amount of rent that she pays and the amount that she pays for medicine. And imagine living on less than $800 a month, uh, you know, getting some of the money back that you paid for rent and some of the money back that you paid for, for medicine can make a huge difference in people that are living that close to the bone. Uh, and uh, I, just, I just think that, that the two things that you picked to strengthen in this, this alternative are, are so important. Well, and when you think about that circuit breaker tax credit, the last time that the size of the increase or the size of the credit increased was, I believe, 2008. And there have been eligibility cuts over time as well. So at the same time, you've got income and property taxes, average incomes and property taxes increasing. The eligibility guidelines have remained flat. So people make more money, but the eligibility is still based on, on several years ago. And the average or in the average credit that people see is also flat. So you you essentially have, you know, fewer people qualifying for a smaller credit. Right. We just yeah. because we haven't and we haven't kept up with that program. So this would rectify some of that. Yeah. And that's awesome that you um that Missouri Budget Project, you know, kind of picked those two things as well, because those are actually the things that everybody cares about. Um, being on budget and ways and means committee, but ways and means specifically, um, the most feel-good bills that come through there are some type of, um, you know, disabled veteran tax credit for property taxes, some type of elderly tax credit for property taxes, which is why I've, I've filed for the circuit breaker, um, you know, to be brought back and updated myself. Um, so I think we're all, you know, we recognize, uh, you know, who needs the help the most, um, but just, you know, what's the path to getting there. So um, I appreciate, you know, Missouri Budget Project putting the actual most vulnerable in, in the forefront. So a lot of this feels like it's kind of removed from us as citizens. Uh, what can we do to educate ourselves and have a voice in this process in the next couple of weeks? Um, to, to make sure that our voices are heard. You know, it's always good to call and harass your legislator. Um, people sometimes get disconnected and they think, you know, we're this like ethereal person, uh, you know, who can't be touched. No, I'm State Rep Ashley Manlove. I work in Jeff City at the People's House and um, it's actually my duty to respond to you. Uh, so um Never underestimate, you know, a, a nicely worded email or, you know, just telling your story um, or actually showing up if you can. Um, you know, it's kind of intentionally set up to where you can't because most meetings, you know, are eight o'clock in the morning during the week. Um, but they are all streamed still. Um, you can see floor debates as well. And the more we talk about it um, and, and, and actually kind of dive in the less, you know, far away and scary it'll seem. So um, I just tell people, go on and dive in. Um, and you can use the website to look up uh, house.mo.gov is the one I'm speaking of specifically, but there is um, senate.mo.gov as well. Um, they're only audio though, uh, not video. 
uh, like the House is. Um, so just go on and dive in and, and find your legislator. That's, that's step one. Figure out who your legislator is and figure out what their platform is. Um, and do they think the way that you do? And, and that'll trigger a lot more thoughts after that. Yeah. And if anybody doesn't know how to find out who their legislator is, they can email me at j-mo at mcustl.com. And I'll send you the link for how you look that up. You just put your address into a website and boom, it'll tell you all of them. And you click on it and it'll take you to something generally with their emails on it or their phone number on it. So you can you can be in touch. And then that's that's the other thing, too, is it, it can seem so baffling, you know, uh, uh, a whole lot of people, you know, their eyes are just crossed talking about this stuff. But uh, MCU has a legislative task force. Uh, we tend to meet, um, well, not always monthly. We take some months off, but at least nine times a year or so we have a monthly meeting. Uh, and in between, uh, I send out uh, information as the uh, lead campaign strategist for MCU. Uh, and uh, one, one of my roles is to help all of our teams, uh, you know, stay current about what's going on in state government. So just about every week, I send out something to the legislative team that summarizes what's going on in state government so that they don't have to go research it for themselves. There it is, you know, to read. Uh, there's some wonderful sources that I trust that, that give a good nonpartisan uh, and accurate uh, picture of what's going on with our, our state government. And I, I share those with people. So if you're interested in becoming smarter about state government, uh, and, and finding out how we can play our role of, of uh, speaking up in the public arena in a way that does uh, look out for the commonwealth, uh, uh, the, the common good. Uh, how do we create policy that, that helps all of us thrive, not just a little tiny portion of us? There are ways to do that, and we can talk about it together and, and, uh, and push forward for some of those. We also will have a couple of, of uh, important events moving toward the November 8th election. Uh, here in the St. Louis region. Um, one uh, is called Look Up and Live, and it's about facing reality. <laughs> Let's actually look at what the real problems are our state has. Instead of living in pretend land, let's look up and live, look at the look at the, the real stuff going on. Uh, and we're, we're inviting uh, people that running for office at all levels, federal, state, local, to come to this meeting and answer some questions before the, the public. That's happening at Centennial Christian Church on Sunday, October the 9th um, at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, there also is a candidate forum for the 24th Senatorial District. We've announced that for Thursday, September the 22nd, but we've also just learned that because of this special session, uh, Majority Floor Leader uh, Caleb Browden has announced that the 22nd is one of the dates that people should be on notice that they may need to be in Jeff City. Uh, and that means that one of our candidates who's serving in the House right now that's running for that Senate seat has put us on notice. If there's a session that day, I may not be able to show up. And so uh, we are looking at whether we might move that candidate forum uh, to a little later in October so that we can get out of special session and not have to have somebody cancel with like 24 hours notice or something uh, since we can kind of plan out for it right now. So um, watch our, uh, our MCU social media, watch our electronic newsletter to know what's happening with those things. But mark your calendar now for sure for October 9th at 3 p.m. in the afternoon uh, where you'll get some really good information and get to hear some candidates uh, speak for themselves. Uh, and then uh, either on September 22nd or a date in October, uh, we will have a, a, a um, candidate forum with those running for Senate 24, um, which is 
the most competitive Senate race in the whole state we hear. So. And I would say that probably the best way to keep up to date on on that candidate form is to register for it now. Yes. So exactly. that you're in the so that you're in the communications loop and you will get the notice if it gets if it gets bumped back That's to a later right. date. That's right. You register for it, we'll tell you if it's going to be moved to a different date. That's right. Right. And and I'll put the link uh, in the description for the podcast. Click that Bless link, you, put your name in it, you'll be all set, you'll get those communications. So exactly. And Tracy, uh, tell us more about your organization. What is the Missouri Budget Project and how can people find out more? To find out more is easy. You can visit our website at uh, Mo, just the abbreviation for Missouri, MOBudget.org. Sign up for our email newsletter. Um, We tend to send it weekly during session, less frequently, obviously, during off times. But but we inform public policy decisions through objective research and analysis on budget tax, economic health issues, um, with kind of the grounding that, hey, these are services that are important to all of our communities. And how are these policies going to affect everyday average Missourians? We, We try to help inform, you know, individuals. Um, groups that are working on these issues, other kind of, you know, involved stakeholders, which really is everyone um, in our community um, to to just help provide education and resources and, you know, translate some of these, these wonky policies as much as we can, because they are so important to everyday folks. They're not Excel spreadsheets. They're not stacks of documents. Um, it, it's policies that affect our lives every day. And one final question for Representative Manlove. Um, this is going to be happening. This special session is happening at the same time as the veto session. Were there any other issues that are bills that were vetoed uh, other than the, these tax bills? Or is this pretty much everything that, that's going to be tackled? This is the, the main chunk of it. Um, <clears throat> like there was some uh, a bit about recycling, asphalt, shingles, and uh, a couple of other smaller issues. But this this seems to be... Uh, the main topic, um, and 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 honestly, um, we just received notice uh, yesterday that would have been the eighth um, our official dates to come down, and they actually only mentioned the agricultural tax credits, um, and it's not even going through ways and means. So it's going to be interesting to see what we actually talk about. Okay, that is interesting. So we'll have to get an update in a few weeks and see what's happening. So I want to thank our guests today for taking the time to explain these things to us. Um, The more that we know about these, the more we can uh, uh, form our own opinions and take action and and raise our voices and tell our stories. So thank you, Missouri State Representative Ashley Bland Manlove of the 26th District in the Kansas City area. Tracy Gleason, uh, the Vice President of External Relations for the Missouri Budget Project, and Jay Mo, Organizer and Lead Campaign Strategist for MCU. If you are ready to join us in the work of justice in the St. Louis area, contact us at 314-367-3484 or send an email to office at mcustl.com. To learn more about MCU, go to our website at mcustlewis.org. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.